the director specifically said to me even before reviews came out he said do not read them because i have to tell you that those theater journalists it's such a snobby industry and they will be devastated that i have cast someone from the internet Hi everyone and welcome back to another episode of Straight Up, the music podcast hosted by journalists Kathleen Johnston and Eleanor Halls that goes behind the scenes with some of culture's biggest celebs to reveal the side of them that you never ever usually get to see. We use their favourite musical memories to talk about everything from childhood and breakups to adversity they've managed to push through to their biggest achievements and wildest parties, everything. It's so juicy, it's so unfiltered, and our guest today is Tanya Burt, the, I don't know, what, OG influencer, Kathleen? Yeah, original influencer. And YouTuber. She launched her career on YouTube in 2009, um, like before anyone, uh, with a Serena Vanderwoodson beauty tutorial, which I actually went back and watched the other day, and it's still banging. So still learn from it. Love. She has millions of followers on Instagram, and in the last four years, she's pivoted to become this incredible actress on stage, on TV, and uh, on film. She's doing amazing things, so we're very excited to what's to come. She's a style icon and ambassador for Dior, and she's also just launched her own sustainability focus lifestyle brand called Authored. They've launched with four hero beauty products, which you're going to hear her talk about. I'm so excited to try her uh, tinted moisturizer. She looked absolutely glowing on Zoom. Glowing. So that definitely works. Uh, We chatted all about launching her acting career after giving it up as an anxious teen and coming full circle. Her favorite friendship memories where she used to go out in London uh, and in Norwich in her early 20s. And she also talks really movingly about finding love in her 30s after having quite a tumultuous late 20s, which she also talks all about. You guys are going to love, love, love this interview, as well as the very fun episodes we've got coming up. Our next guest is Pandora Sykes, who many of you will love from the Hilo. We are extremely gussed about that. We're big fans, so stay tuned. Make sure you're subscribing so you get to see the episode the minute it drops. And before that, we have a special bonus episode where Kathleen and I will do a behind-the-scenes reveal of what it's really like to work in celebrity journalism. I think, you know, we've we put the mic towards so many guests and made them tell us all of their juiciest anecdotes, but we're going to turn it back on ourselves and also it means that you guys can get to know us a little bit better after two years of doing this podcast yeah it's time to share our worst best and most embarrassing anecdotes which i'm sure you guys can appreciate we have plenty of over some cocktails of course please do rate and review it's boring but it works and as ever thank you so much marlon percy for his music and editing find us on instagram at kathleen.m.johnston and at ellie halls one and do drop us a dm with any feedback because we love hearing from you guys always enjoy so before we get into our chat with tanya we wanted to tell you all about the amazing cocktails we were all drinking together the pepino from lockdown liquor yeah so lockdown liquor basically became an obsession of ours last year after i'd sent else a couple of bottles for her birthday then I went for the picante because of we love a spicy marks, just can't go wrong. And I'd seen them already recommended by Maya Jama herself. It's been so much fun trying the rest of the range. We're so excited to tell you about it. We absolutely are. Honestly, the two deliveries that really get me excited are beauty pie and bottle cocktails. They can literally bring me back from the brink. And bear in mind, Kathleen and I have tried a lot of bottled cocktails through this podcast. It's a hard job, isn't it, babe? Yeah. We were really impressed by these gorgeous picantes from Lockdown Liquor. That's why we knew we really wanted to work with them and we knew that Tanya loved gin. So we sent her a bottle of the gorgeously refreshing Pepino. It's made from gin, cucumber, fresh lime and mint. And we toasted to celebrate the launch of her brand new beauty brand, Authored. A very fitting toast. I think I got through my entire bottle during that chat. It went down so easily and I definitely saw Tanya top herself up a few times. These pre-blended cocktails are crafted by expert mixologists and are honestly so perfect for movie nights at home with friends or to send to loved ones as a gift. You can even get your bottles customized for free. There are nine different blends to choose from, including our favorite classics, the Old Fashioned and the Espresso Martini. So there really is something for every type of cocktail lover, even a couple of non-alcoholic blends for our teetotal listeners, which include the Grove Picante, which just swaps tequila for seed lip. Love it. You can order your gorgeous bottles direct from lockdown-liquor.com or you can get them at premium retailers such as Liberty's. And if you are feeling really fancy, then you can even hire the Lockdown Liquor truck for a special event at any venue or location you like. They'll create like a flexible bar, and if you're talking very big numbers, you can buy them on tap with the Lockdown Liquor mobile draft unit. I mean, pretty major. God, that is making me think of my 30th birthday already. Thank you so much to Lockdown Liquor. 
Tanya, welcome on the Straight Up podcast. We are so thrilled to have you here. So to kick things off, we are going to crack open our cocktail that we sent you because we know that you love gin, or we hope you... Yeah. We hope that's it. I love Correct. gin. Okay, amazing. Um, and we want to toast to the uh, launch of Authored, which went live at Thank the beginning so of September. Congratulations. Thank you. So Thank you so much, guys. Cheers. A little virtual cheers. Like, oh, you've got a, a fancy glass. <laughs> Authored has been more than like two years in the making that is Mm. so much work and I think often um, these kind of projects obviously like the consumer only sees the end product but like is that a usual amount of time what happens in those two years is it just product testing is it choosing your packaging is it finding suppliers like what's the process it's all of those things and obviously then there was a global pandemic which definitely set us back because, you know, factories, everything just shut down. You just couldn't do anything. So I so I don't know if two years is normal or if, I mean, we had a lot of setbacks due to the pandemic, basically. Um, funnily enough, there's now a card shortage due to the pandemic, oh, as in like God. cardboard, um, wow. so that, that could possibly affect things in the future. It's, <laughs> it's so, you know, it's just a, a nightmare, the things that it's um, affected. But um, but in terms of what we were doing in that time and what is normal is um, is yeah all of the product development, um, packaging development, product design, um, packaging design, website, um, just discussing the brand at length and you know getting it to place where we wanted it to be, um, and just truly kind of getting to grips with everything. Um, our packaging is ninety five percent sustainable and. Um, to the best of our knowledge, our mascara and brow gel are the most sustainable and the only fully aluminium ones um, that exist. Unless there's one that we don't know about, but that's something that took us a lot of time and effort and research, basically, because we just so wanted to use aluminium because it's infinitely recyclable, whereas plastic can only be reused a certain number of times and then it does um, eventually end up in our oceans. Um, so we really wanted to use the aluminium and it's, it was, that was a lot of work to make our mascara. I wish I had the products here to hold them up and talk about them, but, um, the, that was a lot of work to get the mascara and the brow gel, you know, in amazing packaging. It feels beautiful. It works, you know, taking the lid off really well, all of that stuff. Um, but it's not plastic, it's aluminium. So that's something that, you know, it's just spending, you know, anyone can, get products out quickly if they need to but I, I just so wanted to do this right and sustainability was a really important factor and also wanted it to look beautiful so I mean some of the first sustainable things that come back it's just like wow looks like something from the future um, yeah, that's quite hard isn't and, it to get like well working lids and stuff like that like yeah you said. the we're going to go chronologically through your amazing life and career but we always start off um, the podcast with a little icebreaker because we are called Straight Up, which is because Kathleen and I do like a drink. All of our best ideas were born over several cocktails. Uh, so we, <laughs> we brought the tradition onto the podcast. So we always ask our guests something to level us all up, put us on the same playing field. When was the last time you had a few too many um, gin cocktails? The Box Club. Oh God! Oh. Um, yeah, there was there was dan- dancing on a podium that we call oh, yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> those things. Yeah, um, definitely. Um, also, I, I love how that that club is known for its famous kind of shows that they. Put We've on. been to one. Yeah, with the um, yeah with I, the I golden shower. Saw... <laughs> yeah, so I didn't see the show because I just managed to get locked out because they lock the doors and I just don't manage oh, to get locked yeah. in the smoking area like every time there was a show on um, <laughs> the whole night that I was there but that was definitely a that was that was yeah just definitely oh. too too many to ever go back are you a oh, good God. dancer though was it maybe like no a, no no I really I don't have rhythm at all um yeah I'm trying to think anywhere the thing is you just can't remember these things that's, that's the thing isn't it it's like, and then I when think, you have um, too many. I, th- I think we can't go back to to Bagatelle, can we, Kathleen? No, definitely Bagatelle, not. Bagatelle, where's that? that? Was, 
It's like, um, it's in Dover Street and it's one of those restaurants where they have the crazy party dancing kind of atmosphere. So people like the waiters are all like dancing and people are like up on the bonquettes and it's like <laughs> very fun, but a little bit too fun. Like the waiters when we were there kept coming over and being like, come on, let's do a shot. And we'd be like, okay, why not? Yeah. I think that's where the danger is, is when you go somewhere that's really fun and you're having a really fun night anyway. And then it just gets out of control. Yeah. I definitely, I definitely think that's that's where it happens I wonder me. if the waiters actually do I wonder if they're doing like water shots or are they actually allowed to to indulge because yeah, they've been doing so many because it's like clearly part of their strategy to get everyone having spending lots of money mm. <laughs> or spending yeah. lots of money yeah Very I clever. always assume that whenever you get given shots they're free I think because when you are when you're like a younger woman they tend to always be free and then recently I remember being really drunk and getting ordering tequila shots from a pizzeria and just assuming they'd all be free and then remember looking at my bank statement the next day and being like oh my god obviously not you just got so funny because I don't seem to remember shots being free so I'm just like what were you like that's amazing you were clearly everyone just looked at you like she she needs free shots I mean, I think I just went to the wrong kind of clubs, clearly, when I was younger. Mm-hmm. I think um, they were the kind of lo- the seedy London clubs where they would bring in, like, girls by offering them free shots. Oh, you were just, like, obliviously <laughs> taking the shots and then, like, walking yeah. away as they try and present you with your bill. Or I'm just really bad at paying people back. And I'm just, like, <laughs> yeah. the friend, the stingy. Oh, God, I'm, like, the person that never buys the round. Anyway. No, you're not. You do buy rounds. <laughs> I can attest. So, well, well, you, you, but you've got me around. We've yeah, got around. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have a song then, Tanya, that reminds you of um, those kind of crazy fun nights? Like, is there something when it plays, you're always up, out of your seat? It's your song. Maybe one that's with your gal pals or just a golden oldie. Oh, you've just reminded me of one. So. So my one from kind of like so so I don't I know the box did happen but but generally I'm not I'm quite boring now I'm not a clubber or a you know cr- crazy heavy drinker um, can't deal with a hangover now I'm in my thirties and all of that but um but in my kind of like in my twenties I would have uh, girls dinners all the time and we would just drink so much. <laughs> and end up dancing on the table and our favorite song was i think you guys will know it but i think it was called sexual um oh it's know? got like the woman the kind of highly processed woman's voice yeah you mean that one so yeah i know that been, one you mean. it would have been i would have been about 26 or something so Wait, it'd be like five years ago yeah about five, five years ago on my spotify is it the sexual healing one by Kai, the kaigo no it's got like um, it was everywhere i know exactly i remember it was oh, on the radio ne- like, ne- naked or naked and dio can you can you sing us a little bit tanya (laughs) i'm gonna play you a bit oh yeah yes i do know this yeah yes yeah it's amazing that song i do think it is just such a brilliant song and do you know what i haven't until we had this conversation i've not thought of that song for so long and I think I am gonna definitely listen to it even just making dinner having glass of wine (laughs) Um, and then just and then be like now I just have to get really drunk because I've heard that song yeah exactly Um, so um, so yeah that song and then early when I was truly in my clubbing days which was early 20s and that wasn't even I I would come and actually stay with my friend Kate who you've met um, because she was at university at Goldsmiths and we would go out in London um, and go to trendy cool places but generally my clubbing days I was still living in Norwich then so I was going to Prince of Wales Road which is known for being one of the most dangerous roads in terms of crime <laughs> oh, and God. just general grottiness um, <laughs> and that, that was where I went out like every Friday and Saturday night for about four years yes. and um, I used to go to a club called Optic and our favourite song there was um the Pitbull and Neo give me everything. Oh yeah, everything tonight. Oh my yes. god, God, memory lane. That memory really reminds lane. me of like first year uni for me. Yeah, there's a lot of Pitbull going on. Uh, there was a lot of Pitbull, and it just gets you so excited. I do think yeah. that's that's the thing when <sighs> when fun, but also sometimes bad things happen is when you do just get overexcited, and music's obviously a big part of that. Exactly. 
So let's go a little bit further back. What were your parents playing in the house when you were growing up? Your earliest musical memories? So growing up, there was, um, it was kind of, I feel like my mum and dad's were quite, their joint one was always the Beatles. So there was loads of the Beatles for me growing up and that's super nostalgic for me. And then um, from my mum, the Bangles, specifically Eternal Flame. And my mum said that she thinks that I came out of her knowing the lyrics to that song because she listened to her cassette tapes so much when I was, when she was pregnant with me. Um, so would you and always then, dance to it as a baby when she put it on? Yeah, yeah. Oh, were you I just, a big I just, fan of the Atomic Kitten re-rendition? Uh, I don't think I was because I just I just loved the original so much. You knew the original, so you were cool because I remember loving the Atomic Kitten one and my parents being like, "That's already a song. That's just a, cover, <laughs> oh, really? no, a bad cover." No, the Bangles. The Bangles was just a cassette tape that was always on in my house, and then. My dad was obsessed with the police, so that they're always, you know, one of my favourite bands. And then also, Right Said Fred was huge. That was kind of like a, all their music's like I feel like exactly like fun and silly. And my dad would always be like doing all the voices, like the singing in the low voices, you know, um, the "I'm Too Sexy for My Shirt" song, <laughs> and and um, oh god, I can't even remember more. But yeah, we we loved Right Said Fred growing up. So me your, and my sister your mum's a teacher right or was I don't know if yeah. she's retired yet I guess we're at the age yes she's a she's a teacher still a teacher she's still a teacher my all my pa- uh, family teachers well they do keep going for a long time don't they teachers they tend to not yeah for a while. my mum my I think is doing she's she's not doing five days I think she's doing three or four now but um yeah she still is going she's still teaching what does she teach she teaches English and I heard you mention before on a podcast, I think it was in a podcast, um, that when you look back now, your dad's kind of, at, your dad was really integral in terms of um, just instilling you with like a confidence from when you were younger, believing that you can like do anything you can set your mind to. Do you think that's been your driver in terms of why you've become like such an incredibly successful individual? Oh, well, thank you. Um, I, I don't think I'm exactly that, but um, but that's really sweet of you to say. And I think um, my dad, What what's interesting is since saying that, I've actually done, you know, learned more about kind of mental health and growing up and all that stuff. And, and my friend Poppy Jamie is a mental health expert and she has a podcast, I listen to it all the time. And I've learned so many things that make me realise why it makes sense what I said about my dad before. Because it's it's all about our core beliefs, which you you learn in the ages kind of two to eight, um, which is how you end up living your life. And you set your core beliefs um as in like what they're what you end up thinking that you need to do to feel loved and safe and like you can you know survive in life and so I think that's why it has been so instilled in me is because I had my dad obviously around from when I was very little and it was just always his attitude of just you can do anything and always put me out there doing so many different things like piano classes drama classes dance classes um some things you know I wasn't very good at or I didn't like doing like clarinet was not for me um and I I, but but I ended up through through trying everything I worked out what worked for me dance I just was not particularly good at and if you see my old home videos which which um my when my boyfriend I think it might have even been the like second time that he met my parents my parents got home videos out just played them to him for hours at first I was like this is so embarrassing and then in the end I just thought he must be so bored (laughs) and just being really polite like just watching mini me um and I'm basically just stood at the back just kind of um stumbling around um not not being particularly elegant or graceful but um but yeah I just think my yeah it was just I guess just put into my subconscious really when I was really young um by my mum and my dad but particularly my dad he's he's very my dad's very I don't know what you'd say not um I don't want to say like strong believer but he's he's very kind of like forceful and he's just like mm. determined you can do yeah. this yeah determined mm. and he's just like no this is it you can do it and he just he really um I guess just gave me confidence um 
And there are loads of areas in which I've lacked confidence over the years, like body confidence or uh, lots of other areas that people, I feel like you can be confident in one area and not another. Um, but in terms of believing in myself and believing that I could do whatever I put my mind to, or at least try, I've never been afraid to try. And I think that's something, um, because also failures were never, um, I was never punished for failing when I was little. And I think that's something really important. It wouldn't be that they, you know, when I said, you know, I think I'm, I think I'm kind of, oh, gymnastics, for example, I was never good at gymnastics. And my best friend, Emma was amazing. And she's two years younger than me. And suddenly she was in the class above me. And then I just went to mum and dad and I said, listen, do you know what? I don't think gymnastics is, I don't think I'm very good. And I think the teacher actually said to them, I don't, I think suddenly I, like everyone in my class was five years younger than me because I just never moved up. <laughs> and, um, beginners. And, yeah, I, I basically stayed in beginners where, and then my oh. best friend who's literally two years younger than me just got totally moved up with like jumping off bars and swinging around and I couldn't even do a handstand. Um, oh, yeah, so I think, I think it's just, I think the, something great that came from my parents and um um is just never being afraid to try something um that's amazing because actually so many people's parents maybe do want them to try things but then as you say can be quite critical will compare them to other people in the class are very like results driven Mm. so it's actually not that i mean you assume that all parents are going to be like yours but actually not many of them are i do find yeah, or some parents might kind of think, oh, I don't think it should be very good at that, so we, we won't give it a go with that one. Whereas actually it might, someone might, they might surprise you. Yeah, they might want to protect you by stopping you from doing mm. something, but actually that can backfire. That you're not like naturally good at. So did you yeah. always love, love, love acting? Obviously you are now an actor by profession. Was it always a big passion for you? Yes, it was always a big passion. I feel like it's it's slightly changed kind of in my teenage years to mid twenties to so so when I was little, loved it. But I also was quite an quite a shy child. Um so when I was with my best friends and my family, I could be really bossy, um and you know, really really kind of um slightly more extrovert. But then as soon as I was at school or with people I didn't know as well, I would be slightly more introvert and be more of kind of like an observer and and love it so much, but just rather watch than join in. But at home, I was just, you know, creating plays. I wanted to direct them, star in them, write them. Um, And my my gymnastics friend that I I mentioned, um, who I also lived with for the last couple of years, um, she's still, yeah, she's still my best friend now. She, she had a computer and I didn't at the time. So she would type up my scripts and put them in oh. colors and, 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 and like the different characters, different colors and she'd print them out. And so it was always, I just loved creating, I think, and drama. Um, Talk to us about so your first script. You, you must remember the name if it was oh, written out. I don't, I don't actually remember the name, but I remember that storylines that I was obsessed with which seems quite weird I don't know if I was a bit of a dark child but I was obsessed with my character dying and also being a mother oh. <laughs> which is really strange because my As mother in, is fine so oh, so I thought that sounds I'd, very I'd, like I'd, my choices on sims when I was that age yeah. as well yeah, <laughs> yeah so, so I would I would always want to play the mother and I would always, there'd always be a scene where I had to um, let my children know that I was, and it would always, I think I must have watched a lot of American films because I'd always say, I'm sick. Um, and, um, you're such an American, like, you're so right. Yeah, it's oh, such, like such we don't American say I'm life. sick, we say I'm I'm poorly or I'm ill or I'm dying if it's really that bad. But but I would, you know, and then, and then I'd have to cry and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, so and, sick with like a terminal illness. Yeah, sick was terminal illness. Yeah, it wasn't like a cold. And then my dad was obsessed with antiques, and um, he also did a bit of carpentry when I was little. And, and he's he's very creative. Um, and he was obsessed with car boot sales and antique shops and stuff. And he would go and buy costumes. Um, so also a lot of what I would come up with would be based around the costumes that we had. Um, so as soon as we had a wig. A, a male wig then my friend Emma had to play I remember her character name was called Bob Down um <laughs> so and then it became a comedy 
Um, so yeah, I loved, I always loved it growing up. And, and then I went to um, a theatre school and did drama classes. And then, and then we had a local, I lived in a tiny village and we just had a local um, thing in my village. I was from a village called Taysborough and it was called Taysborough Players and it was a drama group. And that, that, those were proper shows that were put onto the whole village and people would buy tickets. Um, and I always did that. And then in my teenage years, I did do drama GCSE and loved it and did well in that. But I started getting, I really suffered with anxiety in my late teenage years, early 20s. And I just completely retreated and didn't feel comfortable doing any of it. That's then I so took a massive break. Do you know what that was called? Do you know what might have triggered that anxiety? Or do you think that was actually always part of your character if you were quite an observer? Ooh, yeah, yeah. I've done uh, countless hours of therapy. So so I, so I feel like I have got quite a good understanding now of the ins and outs of everything. And um, But yeah, it was definitely part of my character that just came out at that time. Right. And um, so then I just completely, you know, just didn't even see that as an option. And then once I'd kind of regained my confidence, done lots of therapy, um, I think I was about 24, 25 when I just thought, you know what, I'm living in London now, going to look into some acting classes and try and get back there because it's something that I really love. Um, So that was then where my journey started as an adult, really. Amazing guys we are taking a very quick break with a PSA as we are so so excited to fill you in on our new partner Dame which if you haven't heard is the world's first climate positive period brand making products that are both healthier for you and the planet. So this female founded green wildly disruptive brand has totally changed the game. Being completely honest until this year I had not really thought about the grim reality of where period products actually go and how much they contribute to landfill. However I have for quite a while been nervous about the health implications because I'd heard about how the plastics and chemicals in tampons literally leak into your body like what the hell why is that not? public knowledge. Um, When I first heard of Dame though through a friend, it was music to my ears because its products were exactly what I'd been looking for. I just needed the recommendation and the push to put them to the test. We have both personally tried the reusable tampon applicator and tampons and the reusable pads and trust me when I say that we are never going back. So many of us are trying to make more environmentally friendly choices these days, whether that's Tanya putting sustainability at the heart of her brand Authored or even just trying to minimise the use of unnecessary plastic and switching to Dame products is one of the easiest changes you can make. Dame has already saved hundreds of millions of pieces of plastic from going into landfill and accessibility is also a really big part of their mission. So Dame work to ensure that people who have periods everywhere have better access to products, to education and resources. Most importantly though, the bottom line, as Ellie says, is that the products are just really, really great. I have just been on holiday and the reusable pads especially were a lifesaver. Not gonna lie, I was a little bit apprehensive, not usually that much of a big pad user, but oh my God, they are genuinely a miracle of science, of tech. I don't know what it is, but if you're like me and you worry about sleeping in white hotel sheets, just wow. That is honestly one of my biggest anxieties when going to a hotel. Um, So I am so excited about that. And the best part for you guys is that Dame is very generously giving us an exclusive 25% discount to straight up listeners. The code UP25, that's capital U, capital P, 25 at wearedame.co. We'd recommend shopping there for the discount, but also it's worth mentioning that uh, stockists include Boots, Waitrose, Sainsbury's and Ocado. Thank you so much to Dame. So how old were you when you first uploaded a video to YouTube? And at that point, was were you just, I guess it was such like the early days of the platform and even like the internet really. Um, did you not have the fear of like judgment or being observed or like, you know, the anxiety about being so exposed as it were, just because you were no. like, it didn't seem tangible that anyone was even yeah. watching it? Exactly. Exactly. I I mean, when I've uploaded my first video, I had no subscribers. So there, I there actually, was no um, I watched it today. Your, Did you? Yeah, Serena your, Van your gossip girl. Yeah. Oh my God, it's still online. I'm going to watch this after. I have, I have privated quite a few YouTube videos just for like privacy reasons because I went through a phase on YouTube where I, I definitely did share. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so interesting. Like what Kathleen said, like, for some reason on a stage. I guess it's because when you think of acting, I guess those drama lessons, you're literally with people, whereas uploading something, you're in your bedroom. So there's literally no one oh, physically it's there. it's completely different. Yeah. And 
yeah you're just you're literally the the beginning of my you know my days on youtube were really quite lonely in a way because my friends were at university um and i was what i mean obviously I, I went to work but i wasn't really close with anyone at work i i, I worked um at starbucks and Topshop, and both on kind of you know mixed days contracts so i did them both in, in norwich in norwich and um my boyfriend at the time um had a full-time job and and i just made youtube videos in my spare time and i and it it was a really different life to the life that my friends were leading at that time and i would like i said come to london and stay at you know in kate's single bed in her halls at goldsmiths and go out to fun clubs and stuff but a lot of the time it was just me kind of working the day and then also working in the evening and putting up these youtube videos did you have like any sense that that could become a career or at that point were you just not quite sure what you wanted to do professionally um i really wasn't sure what i wanted to do professionally i was i'd actually deferred i was supposed to go to university to study english literature um and i just deferred it by a year because i just wasn't really sure what i wanted to do so so that was still my when i started youtube i thought i was still going to go to university and do english so do you remember like after you uploaded that first video can you talk about the window of time where you suddenly like i don't know how many comments or likes or if if you remember the stats for like when it went live like when did it take off when did you know that you could maybe do a second one or a third video or well i was never planning on doing it for um likes or any of the other stuff like interesting fact is I didn't know what a YouTube view was until a year in to doing it. Like that's just and strange then, numbers in the page. Yeah and then Aww. another YouTuber said to me they were just like well I just didn't even notice them it just looked like kind of jargon to me so and then someone was like you know you can tell how many views your video has and I was like what and I just hadn't even hadn't even noticed Aww. or even like thought about it so that was I did look at my subscriber count that was something I would be like excited if it went up but views just were not even in my headspace so So what reminds you like which kind of songs or what music were you listening to around that period of your life so obviously other than the Neo and Pitbull on the nights out is there a particular artist or songs that really like remind you or make you nostalgic for that time um loads of indie music like the rakes block party uh jamie t um were you wearing converse and pearls at this time (laughs) i remember that's what that was my go-to indie girl look (laughs) yeah uh the horrors um larrikin love all of those kind of indie bands it would be like gigs were very important um so it was just it was all about you know queuing up at hmv for your gig tickets and and um, so, yeah, all, all of those bands. And what about when you started to kind of make it, I guess? I don't know. It depends how you define making it, but however you'd like to. What kind of music do you associate with that kind of celebratory period of being like, okay, my friends at university and maybe I had was a bit jealous of the fact that they were all having this experience, but actually I'm so glad this has finally worked out and paid off like do you remember your first big celebratory party I remember the first brand deal I ever did my best friend Kate was actually home from university and we were already supposed to go on this big night out to a club called Poonanas in Norwich oh my god Um, we had one in Wimbledon Loved did you club. yes so was, so good <laughs> love it i i always pronounced it ponana and then everyone always made fun of me because oh, i don't know if i'm pronouncing it right we called it punanas but no i, I have like a really right. i pronounced be everything pr- wrong yeah. yeah you'll be pronouncing it right more likely <laughs> yeah um yeah so that i remember that day just you know i was it was my f- the first kind of like substantial amount of money had come in and I'd been doing it for a couple of years and then we just I was just like oh my god this is just and it it was like 200 pounds and I just thought it was insane and you know I was just working on minimum wage um 
between my different jobs that I was doing. So to have that just get, you know, put in my bank account from one little thing that seemed quite small to me just was crazy. I just thought what it was wild. What was the brand? Wild. Do you remember? So the brand, I don't know if they still exist. They were quite niche. They were called Michael Todd or something, I think. Um, I, d- no, I've, I've, I haven't heard of them at all recently. But it was, or... they were, no, it was, it was skincare. Mm. Um, I might have the name wrong, but it was, it was like dark purple packaging. It was, it was a very kind of like niche online brand. So I think they've probably gone and tried to find online people. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, I remember going out that night and being like, let's buy a bottle of champagne. It was never done before <laughs> in my life with my, with my friends. And um, and that and that felt really exciting. And in terms of music, we were listening to, um, oh god, a lot of that kind of that was around those neo the, the... give me everything days. <laughs> um, and the song that when they did that remix, the song that goes like, mm, what you say? Oh my god, oh, yes, yeah. the Imogen Heap. Imogen Remi- Heap. But remix. what was the re- Jason Derulo? Yes. Oh uh, yeah, love a bit. Yeah. Of Jason <laughs> yeah. So there. So there's me being like, oh my god, I'm basically I've made it now. We're buying champagne. I've got two hundred pounds for bank account. This, oh this my is it. God. You know. Did that, you blow that, that was... two hundred quid all that night? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, good. Yeah, and and so so that was that was a it was a kind of fun time. So how old were you when you moved to London? Like, was it a decision to be like work's picking up? This is all going to happen. That's where I need to be. I, had you been signed to your agent before then, or did that all happen after? I was signed with my agent before London, um, years before actually. I I never thought I'd live in London because like like I said I I really struggled with anxiety it was a massive battle for me um and it's just crazy to think back to those days and I still have moments now where I was walking around London around Oxford Street recently um I just had a meeting nearby and I was by myself and it was one of the hottest days of the year and it was so packed and I remember just walking around on my own and just thinking god I wish myself 10 years ago could see me now and just see that like nothing it's nothing oh, bothers amazing. me amazing um because that just wouldn't have been an option for me when I was that age I was do you write a diary really... so you can see the I love the five what's it called the five-year diary where you can oh see yeah you're year a do you know what I've I've been bought those diaries for birthdays I've never written them and I do really regret it I should I, but I've noticed that I leave it blank from literally like February to like August and then I always start again in September because clearly September for me is September's back to school (laughs) and then it tails off yeah so because didn't you um am I right in thinking um your best friend who you mentioned earlier Emma um she's a teacher right and you guys are living together or or you do live together we don't live together now she's moved in with her boyfriend I've moved in with my boyfriend but she's um but um we're, we're still very much best friends and yes she is a teacher Oh my god, that must have been so fun when you were living together. Like it was so fun. We did girls. the whole of lockdown together. We oh. loved it, and it was. And we'd never lived together before, so it was so fun to have that experience. Proper so, quality time. When you started your acting classes, um, this may be a naive question because someone who's obviously never done this. But do you do them in groups? And if so, how was? Or did you have them privately? I did both. So I think it's really important to do both. I feel like back to me doing piano lessons um with piano I'm saying this because I I was trying to teach my boyfriend piano for the first time last night I was trying to explain to him we have to do the theory and we have to do the practical I got into 10 minutes practical and then I was like writing on the back of like a note card trying to try and teach him theory and like how to what what the notes look like and writing their you know the letters underneath them um but with the uh with the acting looking at it now just after doing that last night I do think the one-on-one is like doing the theory right and the and the group stuff is the practical so the one-on-one I've um I haven't seen him for a while actually I've seen him once or twice since Covid but pre-Covid I was doing one-to-one once a week for a long time with a guy called Lawrence Mitchell who is incredible like I'm kind of annoyed I've said his name because I don't want him to get up <laughs> Um, because he's just so good and he actually does one-to-one and group classes um, which is great 
and he's just so brilliant and he really kind of like picks apart every single script with you discusses character and backstory and just it the work with him one-to-one is just invaluable and just so brilliant and if I have an audition I like to work with him if he's available I'll say to him like can we work together before this audition um and then the group classes I love because you can do those kind of evenings and weekends they tend to be and what's great about that is the pressure so when it's just me and Lawrence you know I can ask any silly questions I want I can be brave and try whatever I want if it doesn't work out it's just him and I whereas um the group classes are terrifying the first one I ever did I did the worst job ever I I literally was like I did this so good and it was it was and um I did so good at home and and when I lived with Emma she was brilliant and she used to actually like practice because they film it all as well um so that we can watch it back basically and they send you the tapes back as if it's a self-tape which is how to be honest, most auditions happen these days is via self-tape. Um, so you record yourself at home. And um, and Emma used to sit and like record me and, and read in the other person's lines and stuff and we'd practically get it perfect. And then I'd go and do it in front of, you had to do it in front of like 30 other actors and then the kind of teacher or sometimes they'd get casting directors in to critique you and stuff. And I just completely ruined it because of nerves. I just got up there and was like, can't remember a single line even though I had this, literally I could say it back to front at home and I just completely freaked. But then as soon as I kind of got into the into doing that and knowing the kind of preparation it took and then the, the you know, the calm kind of persona that you had to um, have, I just think th- those were brilliant. So so I'd say one-to-one and class, group class was so good because you also you can learn from others in a group. Do you ever have, is there a particular music, artists, genre that you might listen to when you're like getting ready and pumped for a session? Or audition. do you have an audition? Yeah, do you have a pre-audition prep song? Pre-audition, I have to clear my head. So I always go classical nice. because that's what works best for me. So I love Iron Audi because also because of my love for piano iron audi is um something i play a lot so i so i love iron audi i also love max richter and um howard shaw for the lord of the rings soundtrack um so i'm a very big enya fan oh my god yes and and the enya Enya song that's in lord of the rings (laughs) may may it be or let it be or something may is it called may it be I've got it on a playlist. Um, that Enya song is so good and just so beautiful. Um, I like to listen to it when I'm stressed and writing. <laughs> like, you've like told you me say, that before, Kathleen. Head. You've made me listen to Enya when I've been stressed. Yeah. Yeah. Apart from the other day, I was talking about Enya. I was actually listening to Enya in the car on Saturday <laughs> with my friends on the way back from farmhouse, Soho farmhouse. And, um, and we were saying how some of Enya's songs, you think, oh, Enya, relaxing, let's put it on. You put it on, some of them are like, <laughs> like <quite crazy. laughs> like, yeah. like the or- Orinoco flow it's, it's yeah. quite hectic um but but may it be is my favorite Enya song so that that's all I'm looking at my playlist now that's my chilled one and I've got yeah Vladimir's Blues Max Richter Mercy by Max Richter and Mary Samuelson Catalogue of Afternoons Departure um On the Nature of Daylight so beautiful are you the kind of actor that once you've got a part, do you create like a world for them? Do you think about what music they might like? Or are you more, like you say, trying to start from a blank slate and not let too many other voices in? So um, in my kind of, and I've, I've been acting professionally now for like four and a half years. And it, it is a really, you know, tough industry. And I've been lucky to work on, you know, the theatre productions and, television shows and films that I have however I've only had two roles out of all the ones I've done where they've been really kind of like meaty big lead roles um the others were all kind of like day player roles I I might be in there for five days but but most of the time they've been smaller because it's kind of the beginning of my acting career um but when I've uh for example, I did a film pre-lockdown where it was my first big film, um, as in as in you know being in 
every other scene being one of the leads. And I shot a film um, uh, called Venice at Dawn, just caveat- caveating the director's thinking of changing the name um, before <laughs> before it gets released. Um, he's he's having ideas, um, but um, but that was my first lead role, and that's coming out next spring, premiering in America actually. Um, so, but that role, uh, I play a girl called Claudia, and that was one of the first roles that I really could get my teeth stuck into because it was a it was a big challenge, big role, lot of responsibility with a really good director and um, Jamie, the director, really encouraged me to make a playlist for my character. Are there any parts of you that you have been able to really pull from for these roles and in terms of emotions or things that you've been through? I don't know if if you're the kind of actor that like really pulls on personal experience. Yeah, totally. So for Claudia, um, she was feeling lost in life and there's definitely parts of my life where I felt lost and unsure of what I was doing um and so I definitely kind of drew on that for her and then Ella was a character that I played in a play um at Southwark Playhouse a few years ago and for her she was a real kind of hustler um and I've I really kind of could relate to that and just wanting to kind of just make shit happen and so how has it been for you Tanya having to square as you say you've had body image issues like I think every bloody woman under the sun yeah. um and obviously your your anxiety and maybe this fear of being seen again like a lot of us I'm sure me and Kathleen can can relate to that so how did you go from that to being like okay um, I'm going to see myself on screen. And how has that how has that been for you? Like knowing that you have to watch yourself, as you say, even in your in your acting classes, they you have to record yeah, yourself so, and get back, which must be excruciating. But I guess maybe you're used to it from the YouTube videos. Yeah, I'm so you. I'm so, honestly that's people often ask me in interviews, what's the has um has has being on YouTube and Instagram helped you at all with with the acting and most of the time it's a no because like I said like nobody cares about YouTube and Instagram and the acting world um if anything it's detrimental because they prefer people who are more kind of not known undergrounds that people can really you know think of them as the characters um and but one thing it's definitely helped with is I am so comfortable in front of the camera now um and I don't I don't care at all and I think part of that come might have come from my experience of being in front of the camera for years but also with age I definitely think you get more confident with age I think you said that um you're not someone who massively seeks external validation yeah that's true so I can imagine that that's been really helpful like both in your kind of original influence career and then as an actor as well because you're doing it for you rather than what the kind of perceived audience is going to think of it yeah and that's yeah that kind of goes back to me saying all the kind of research i've i've done into kind of mental health um lots of it being through my friend poppy is um is it's i think that all does i think i have to credit my parents for that to be honest because so many people do kind of crave that external validation because for some reason either they didn't have it as a child or they were told that it was very important to be uh, to have others approval whereas my parents were like we don't care what anyone thinks you do you so so does that mean you would you maybe like not google like first night reviews of your play for instance or film reviews or have you insulated or i guess maybe you've learnt the hard way through the internet to not look at what people say about you online no definitely the rule of being in the public eye is not google yourself (laughs) Because Even when is, you're transitioning to a whole different uh, career space. Yeah, I think the reason being is that people who have something positive to say usually say it to their friends. Mm. Um, uh, if you think about so it that true. way. So like, how often do you guys, if you really love something, go and write about it on the internet? It's usually if, you know, British Airways have messed up your flights or something, you might be like, really angry, typing emails furiously. But when it's, there's not usually that much 
positive stuff that people go to the effort to write. They're usually just telling their peers about it. Um, so That's I don't so think true. it's massively useful to read stuff online. Um, when I had my big kind of like, it was a huge transition into acting. I, I'd done a few kind of film and TV, like little jobs. And then I did this play, which is quite a big deal for me. The director specifically said to me, even before reviews came out, he said, do not read them because I have to tell you that those theatre journalists, it's such a snobby industry and they will be devastated that I have cast someone from the internet. Even even though she's been doing her acting classes just the same as everyone else and doing all of that, they will be devastated that I've cast you. So (laughs) FYI, their reviews are probably pre-written before they've even come and they'll probably leave in the interval (laughs) just to publish them. Oh my God, cheeky. And and so he he was very strict with me and said, do not read those. So um, yeah, so I I think um, it's a... It is a tough world, you know, that stuff. But you, you grow a thick skin. I think you just have to stay strong and just know that you're being true to yourself and staying on your journey, working hard and doing the best you can. And I'm not saying I haven't made mistakes. And sometimes people have said, you know, bad things about me and it's been completely true. There's been, particularly in my acting career, there were times when I suddenly got this job and it was, you know, in an American accent. And my accent was awful because I hadn't trained for it. I just did the job. I was like, woohoo, this is amazing. Let's just do the job. And, and it just, it was awful. And so and then my next job in American Act, I made sure that I like did the work and then yeah, it was fine. Um, exactly. But, but I will Which forever. Which is all you can do. Yeah. yeah. You'll forever have people being like, oh, do you remember the, do you remember the time she did that? That was awful. <laughs> and, um, but I just think you just, you just can't pay attention to it. Have you been able to approach like that level of scrutiny in like your real life rather than your work in the same way? Because obviously you've had a very well documented personal life and I know you've made decisions in the past few years to be a lot more guarded about the level of like personal information that you're sharing online and... I just didn't read it, to be honest. Do you read DMs? Because I know a lot of people say they don't read DMs from people that they don't know because then you're kind of already adding that filter generally no if there's something if I've asked a question um or if something's happened like author has just launched so I want to read my dms to yeah. see what see what no, people nice. see people's reactions and stuff or um if I've said oh my god can anyone recommend a foot cream <laughs> like, <laughs> then, then I'll then I'll read my dms which honestly when I have my dms it's a lot it's actually not I don't see anything kind of like nasty in there or people being not very nice to me. It's mostly like really gross stuff from guys. Oh, um, do they all have foot fetishes? So basic. That tends to be the thing. Foot oh my God, the foot DMs. fetish is so weird. There's a whole like <laughs> Wikipedia page or something for my feet. It's, and it's just oh, so what? bizarre. And, oh and, God, and, and what's yeah, it called? Like, Tanya Burr's yeah. feet? Uh, the feet or something like that oh i i don't oh, know no. it's so bizarre i'm so sorry that you found that it's it's like <laughs> it's like men being like hi darling um here's my whatsapp number what's yours and um oh. and so it's my my dms just tend to be quite weird um so i tend to not go in there yeah do you know what? This is literally so presumptuous for me because I literally don't know you at all. But the way you speak about your career and your experiences, you seem so like at peace or I don't know so confident in what's happened and how you've gone through certain things and I wonder if is this something to do with your early 30s I am about to turn 30 Kathleen has just turned 30 and I am literally obsessed with discussions about like how you change when you hit 30 because I feel like I will wake up a different person and I had a I've had a very interesting uh, podcast with Dolly Alderton recently saying that actually the myth of like your early 30s being this amazing time didn't work out wasn't quite didn't happen for her they were more stressful so I just wondered this is like serenity that I feel on zoom and again this may be completely down to the fact that we've all had a pepino gin cocktail uh is it yeah, to do I might with have another one uh, yeah well I have been <laughs> quietly topping myself up in the in the corner here um do you think it is to do with turning 30 and you know actually weirdly I guess you've almost had your you know, you were married in your 20s and now you're not mm. married and you were single in your early 30s and now you're obviously with someone in a serious ma- in a serious way. But like you've almost had experiences that maybe some 20 year olds wouldn't have in their 20s and vice versa. Exactly. It's weird, yeah. isn't it? That um, Yeah. So really excited for you about 
turning 30 and being in your 30s um, I'm because so scared. you're you're probably going through your Saturn return right now so you're you, oh you will have a, have you read about that I, I have know. heard about this on Dolly Alderson was talking about this with someone oh really who, but that's the extent I'm not very good on all that stuff it, goes, yeah, it, it mean, goes on from it lasts a couple of years doesn't it yeah like 29 to 31 or 28 to 30 everyone's is like slightly I'm different I'm late 28 yeah so so I think um yeah, you might, it might take you a while to start to feel it, but I feel like you what? really do feel it. And you're like, what is right, it? this is, this, this is happening. Wait, you know, I'm not an expert on Saturn return, but. But you felt it in your end of 20s. Yeah, it's basically like an astrological event that occurs every 27 to 29.5 years when the planet Saturn returns to the sign and degree that it was at when you were born. So that's why it's slightly different ah, for everyone. Okay. And it's associated with major life changes, career changes, breakups, engagements, and relocations. Obviously, it was, I had a really eventful Saturn return. <laughs> um, and, um, and it was amazing. And um, there was, I, I do think it, you do start to just feel so, I think you do have a new sense of peace in your 30s and I I say to people they're my favorite years so far my my time being single loved it my you know falling in love and finding the amazing guy that I'm with now like amazing love it it's um and also just like I said that confidence I think comes with age I, I just think life is just better the older you get it just is yeah you do exude I don't know if you feel it too Kathleen but I do feel that Tanya exudes like a really like Definitely, you seem like amazing grounded confidence. and like really. That's quite amazing. Yeah. So I feel like I've just had a quite a hectic day, and I'm just like, oh my god! Like got on the podcast, with you guys. I was like, quick, can I go to Lou? Yeah. <laughs> I was, you know, just been talking all day long. Yeah. So that, like, that's no, no, really you're the nice picture of serenity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, you do um, seem very grounded. I definitely pass. I know, like, totally hear Dolly, and that it's different for everyone. But I think it's what you say with age. It's just the sense of. Um, Trusting yourself, I think as well, mm-hmm. trusting your own intuition, knowing that you'll generally make the right choices and be okay. And even if something isn't okay, it will, it will be eventually. You'll exactly. Learn from it. And I think it's really interesting what you say about trusting yourself because that's something I've learned that it's so important to do. And if you realize you don't trust yourself, it can create so much anxiety. Um, even if it's saying... I'm going to water the plants. I'm just looking at my really dead plant outside. <laughs> um, but even if it's saying, I'm going to water the plants tomorrow, and then tomorrow comes, you get distracted, you don't water the plant, as I clearly haven't. Um, but honestly, I haven't really thought about it until I just looked at it. Just then. It hasn't been a promise I've made to myself, I promise. Um, but then if you know the day goes past and you look back, you're like, oh God, I don't water the plant. You, you lose trust for yourself, or it might be about going to the gym or um calling your mom or anything but I do just think building trust within yourself and doing the things that you say you're going to do and if if you really don't think you're going to do them don't promise yourself that you're going to do it because you just break that trust and I think the relationship with yourself is the most important one you'll ever have um so I think that's something that I learned getting older I think as well. um also I love what you say about being single in your 30s being really fun because I've been in a relationship for almost 10 years now and like my biggest fear if my boyfriend's listening to this it's not, I, I don't worry about this happening <laughs> to us but my biggest fear <laughs> is being the one that got into the relationship first and then being the one that ends it at 30 because that tends to be often what happens with people when they get together really young and 30s kind of again this turnover age and like being single in your early 30s is almost like unconventional like that's when you're meant to be settling down and maybe getting married and thinking about kids and I wondered I love the fact that you actually felt clearly quite empowered and happy during that time because I think for many women that can be a really scary time like if you're not in a long-term relationship with the prospect of marriage and babies like clearly structured out in front of you it can be terrifying I think um, there were definitely a few people that I spoke to along the way that gave me confidence in that. For example, I remember having a meeting with um, a woman who became my friend through working with Audi, um, who does PR at Audi and organises VIP events and and that kind of thing, and um, had a meeting with her and her newborn baby uh, just after my divorce. And... um, 
she said to me, I can't remember the exact ages now, but I think it was she met the love of her life when she was 37, had her first baby with him at 39, and now she's 41 or something having her second baby. And I remember just being like, okay, I'm fine. I'm literally yes. like, I think I was I was 29 when I went through my divorce so, and, and, and turned 30 single and all that kind of stuff. And, and I was like, okay, I'm fine. I may as well just enjoy this time. I haven't, I've been in a relationship since I was 18. I can't wait to date. This is so fun. Yeah. And just threw myself into it. Also, you're in such a better position, I think, like even looking at my friends who are single at the moment um, to make good choices in terms of mm. the right kind of partner. I feel so like true. once you get into your 30s, you like we say, you have a clear idea of like who you are, what you want out of life, oh, what completely. matters to you. Yeah, and when I first started dating, I didn't want to find the right partner because I wanted to date for a while and not commit to anyone and just, you know, have fun. And luckily, by the time I met my now boyfriend, I was I was in a position where I was like, I would quite like to meet someone who is perfect for me. And and I and I met him. And um, but I think you're so right in terms of knowing what you want and also having that and what you deserve experience of, of previous yeah, and what you deserve in previous experience and and just knowing knowing what what suits you and and it doesn't mean that the other pe- people who you went with weren't lovely it just it just means that you probably need something slightly different and and I think you really realize exactly what that is and who you need and then when you find them you're like okay you're it you better like me too because you're you're <laughs> perfect so yeah. and then you freak out so you're like oh my god what if they don't feel the same way and um and thank god with my boyfriend he was he was into me as well do you guys have a song or do you have like a song that really reminds you of like the time when you met yeah we we have we have a song but I feel like I can't share it I feel like it's yeah, private, it private and I, I, I feel <laughs> like it won't be ours anymore if I share it so so we do have a song um but we have there are a number of songs of songs that remind me of um him because it was a playlist that I listened to all the time when we were first together and like a couple, uh, some things that he sent me and stuff like that and um the do you have similar taste in music or are you like in the car fighting over the, oh we uh, definitely fight the over the music yeah. and we're, something that we do though is we basically say let's take it in turns and especially yeah, when we go on trips fair. with friends like we went with our friends um emma and james to soho farmhouse recently and on, on saturday and uh we basically we t- we go around the car clockwise and we're like yeah yeah we we go like that um are you a big playlister because I know you've said before as well that one of the things you love like say on your Instagram with your um stories you'll highlight them like not for other people to look at but so you've got an archive or a record yeah are you like that with music as well like you have playlists that match up to a time so you can like be nostalgic and go back yeah, so so songs that remind me of when we first got together are Bags by Clyro, um, Good News by Mac Miller, which is one of my favourite songs of all time. It's actually really quite depressing, but I did just listen to it all the time. Even just walking to the local coffee shops, that will always remind me of that time. I think sad music always is always what reminds me of like love and dating and stuff, even though it might not be a sad time. I think it's just more emotional. Yeah, pulls on the heartstrings. Yeah. Totally. Skin by Dijon, Softly by Rye. Um, nice. Yeah. Did you find so, that um, your boyfriend, because I guess, again, this might be a presumption, but your YouTube fan base would have probably been largely female. So by the time, so before you got into your, when he would have recognized you through your acting stuff, did you find that when you were dating, or in fact, dating before your now boyfriend, that men, you didn't really have a problem with men knowing you from YouTube and stuff because- Yeah, totally. (laughs) Which is actually so great, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that was totally fine. Actually, weirdly, my Instagram following is something like 35% male, but when I was dating, I did do a lot of dating through like recommendations, like like through friends and setups and, oh, you guys need to meet and blah, 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 like that kind of thing. Um, rather than tinder yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) do you have a zoomed out enough of a perspective as well on this really really big time with launching authored and the products being out in the world everyone using them like what do you think will be the music that you'll associate with this time when you look back on it oh oh i know what that will be and it's fred again 
Yeah. Oh, yes. Um, we love Fred again. Because we used Fred again. Um, I used it on my on one of my videos that I used to launch Authored. Um, so I will always associate Fred again with Authored. And what about a song that maybe makes you cry, either for a, re- a nostalgic reason or because it... Happy yeah, tears. Us, yeah. Johnny Cash Hurt always makes me cry. Um, Is that a breakup? Breakup anthem? Do you have a breakup anthem? A break- I don't really have a breakup anthem. Um, I just think it's just such a beautiful and sad song. And the music video is just so beautiful. And um, I loved my, um, my one of my friend's boyfriends is a really amazing singer. And I love it when he sings and I play piano and we do that song. And it's just like, it's, it, I love that so much. Um, well, to end, Tanya, I think me and Kathleen, particularly as female business partners, would love to hear some of your advice as you've just launched another successful business, authored, like you are in a league of your own, you have done so much. What are some of your life lessons around business or maybe more widely that you could share with us and listeners who want to nail the hustle as your, as your dad wisely taught you? I think always be truthful to yourself and know that you really believe in what you're doing because nobody will buy into anything that you don't believe in. Um, think of your future and say and save. Pensions. <laughs> don't, don't be so hedonistic. <laughs> but I, that's something I, I say. My don't go to Poonana and buy the champagne. Yeah, I say my parents <laughs> gave me all this amazing stuff. My parents are really hedonistic, particularly my dad. Um, it's, it's like so my dad is someone who money burns a hole in his pocket and his dad was the same and and it's just like let's just do it you know like just buy it <laughs> like and um and it's definitely not because he came from money or had lots of it when I definitely not we didn't have much when I was growing up at all but as soon as anything happened or did come in it would be like gone in a day um so <laughs> it's just a good time guy yeah so, yeah. so pro- pro- probably a good idea to maybe consider the future but I just always find that quite boring to have to think about um in terms of failures I just think it's so important to own them and just be like yeah hold my hands up there I I really did that did either didn't go the way I thought it would or I made some mistakes what didn't work and what did work is the most important thing to look at I think in businesses be like okay so so this clearly didn't work so how could we do this differently and then on the other side of things but wait did part of that actually work and that was good and we should hold on to that bit so I think um just not being afraid I think often when people have failures they they just want to shut it away and forget about it brush it under the carpet but I think it's really important to um put it under uh, a microscope mm. analyze it and um make sure you don't make the same mistakes again mm. very very good advice really good advice tanya thank you so much you've been thank such you an so much for guest. having me i know thank you and you're gonna go and listen to a bit of enya now i'm glad that we've brought up some good memories oh you. yeah exactly i, I feel know. like i can't wait to go and listen to all of all of the music we've talked about now 